turn my recording volume down a smidge. That should be better. I don't know what happened when Bobby fixed my mic to make it not register as loud as it was before, but like, I'm sure our listeners will appreciate the fact that I'm not like screeching the whole time like I was there for a while. What do you have the number set at? I'll match it. Uh, 61, I think. I had we it match. at 61 and then it went up. Mine did that too. Oh, it's like one, and now it's at sixty-three. Yeah, it's like it's adjusting for our volume. Interesting. Interesting. So now I'm at sixty-seven. Now I'm at seventy-two. I'm just gonna let it do its thing, I guess. It probably knows more than I do about this. Yep. Welcome to The Strange and Unusual, where we discuss the strange and unusual. This is episode 45 of our series, seeking out the weird, the unexplained, and the devious from around the world. I'm Roya. And I'm Casey. And today we're taking a trip through California as we discuss that mysterious murderer, the Zodiac Killer. And for the first time, we're doing a two-parter. That's right. Zodiac is one extra bitch, so we're doing two. Toss us some feedback if you like this approach on bigger cases like this one. What she said. (laughs) So in this one, we are flipping the script from how we have done the last couple of like fives episodes, for lack of a better term, uh, on what we call them. So Casey is going to be covering the crimes and I am going to be covering the suspects. There's a lot. There are several many. I was telling Roya earlier, I have 14 pages of nonsense to talk about. So everybody, strap in. I it's going to be a wild I, ride. I only have five. But I also have like them all bullet pointed. And I'm sure that Casey and I will have some very strong opinions about these dumb suspects. I'm so excited. <laughs> So, we all know the Zodiac was the enigmatic killer who terrorized San Francisco Bay, or that area, rather, uh, during the late 60s and early 70s. He definitely killed five people and injured at least two others. Uh, And while that body count was relatively low when compared to other U.S. serial killers, he is still one of the most infamous murderers, likely because he was never conclusively identified Uh, As Roya said, that is something she's going to be talking about uh, later, but I will be talking about today the five and, or five murders and uh, two injuries that I previously mentioned. So let's jump right into it, because we got a lot to talk about. We sure do. We sure heckin' do. (laughs) So, December 20th, 1968. Case number V-25564. David Arthur Faraday, age 17, and Betty Lou Jensen, age 16, went out on their first date. Betty was wearing a purple dress with white trim and a Christmas brooch. David wore a light blue long-sleeve shirt and brown corduroy pants. This was Betty's first date, and David was an Eagle Scout. Neither of them were known for being troublemakers, 
And so Betty uh, introduced David to her family when he came to pick her up. And then they stopped at a friend's house before going to a Christmas concert at a local high school. Then they went out for dinner. And to cap off their evening, David parked his mother's two-tone Rambler station wagon out on Lake Herman Road. This road was in Solano County, and it connected Benicia and Vallejo. Um, and it was a, there was a secluded lover's lane type area that was used by teens wanting to neck. So they went and parked. It was near a pumping station, which I thought, ha ha ha, that's funny. <laughs> so this road is not well traveled. It was just like a standard two lane job, rural area. Yeah. And then a car comes up and parks beside them. This figure gets out of the car and shots were fired at David's vehicle and the two teens exited in an attempt to flee, to run away. David was found beside the car, shot in the head, just above his left ear. Betty Lou tried to make a run for it, but her body was discovered 28 feet away with five shots in her back. Jeez. The shots were fired from a 22 caliber uh, semi-automatic weapon. The ammunition was Winchester, Winchester Western Super X. There was no indication of robbery or sexual assault. Uh, there were no witnesses. Several vehicles were reported to have been seen in the area just before the local resident. Gosh, what was her name? I didn't write it down. Stella something. Um, she discovered the crime scene. So uh, David was discovered still alive. Pierre Bedeau. Uh, was one of the officers on the scene, and he claimed that you could still see his breath making steam in the air, but it was like he was brain dead. Like, all of his... He was functioning still, but there was no connection. Yeah. Um, And he died on his way to the hospital, pronounced dead at 12.05 a.m. A friend of Betty Lou Jensen criticized the police in their investigation, saying that they had their minds set on the killing being drug-related and not seeking out further cause. There was some speculation <laughs> that uh, Faraday had learned of a major drug deal and had been talking openly about who was involved. So, but these are two like it's an Eagle Scout upstanding and a girl on her first date. Yep, we know what like, we feel about pillars of the community. I mean, I'm not saying that it's impossible, but <laughs> the likelihood of them. Mm-hmm. Like, you figure if it's an Eagle Scout and he's got this information on this drug thing that's going down, that he would have gone to the police. Yeah. Like, he would have been the one to bring it up. He definitely would have told his parents. Yep. Like, and what a fucking the worst date, first date. (laughs) (laughs) Ever. I'm never going on a date again. (laughs) And some argue that this actually might not have been the Zodiac, uh, because he didn't immediately send out a taunting letter or make some kind of phone call, um, which we will discuss later, that he does a lot. Yeah, but, Um, you know... He did. Killers evolve. Like, no one starts with their M.O. locked in place that's from this time period. You know, like... important later. Yeah, like more modern serial killers that have all these reference points of older serial killers. Sure. And all this TV and all these shows and all this information saying that you need to develop an MO and that all the best serial killers have one, then, yeah, I think we would see MOs happening earlier 
in modern serial killer crime. But at this point in time? We will discuss that a little bit later with one of my possible suspects and how he did do just that, uh, sending a letter and all that at the beginning of his, for lack of a better word, crime career. Yeah. Um, so if if that one was him and that was a part of his uh, MO, then there, there's a possibility, but he does claim this. He does take credit for this attack and was able to provide many details that were not known to the general public. Yeah. So either somebody who was familiar with the case in a way of corrupt law enforcement sort of deal or, which, again, that'll be important later. Yep. And, um, or it's it, another or one of those guys. Yep. Yeah, hang on to all these little factoids. I'll try to I'll try to remind you when to really pay attention. Uh, so we have July fourth, nineteen sixty nine, case number two four three one four six. In a secluded area near Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo, Michael Majot, nineteen, and his girlfriend Darlene Farron, twenty two. Uh, she was a married woman, by the way. Just so we are clear, uh, there are some. If you're if you're going to look further into this, there were some people who said that she had a lot of boyfriends. Uh, so this, if it was not the Zodiac, there were people saying that this was a act of jealousy thing, which I'll get into a little more later. I just want to preface: she has a husband, and she's dating a 19 year old. Yeah, and so. I in my research brought me down some of her crime as well and everything that i found stated um pretty openly that her husband was like cool with it and this Mm. wasn't like extra i mean it is technically extramarital but it wasn't something that they were hiding yeah yeah and what i'm saying is that it's not necessarily the husband that was jealous i'm saying it was the other boyfriends yeah because well just it's important later anyway (laughs) Uh, So, their time together was rudely interrupted when a second car pulled into the lot. According to the testimony given by uh, Majot, I don't know how to say his name, that it was possibly a light brown Ford Mustang or uh, Chevy Corvair. So, the couple was approached by this man with a flashlight, and the figure seemed to use the light to obscure himself from view. Uh, And they thought it was the fuzz, so they took out their IDs and rolled down the windows. The figure approaches the driver's side window, fired five shots into the car, and then strolled back to his vehicle. Michael was said to have been shot multiple times in the face, one bullet going through his ear, another going through his tongue and jaw. Jesus. Unfortunately, the shooter heard Michael as he howled in pain and went back to finish the job, shooting each of them two more times before peacing out. The weapon used was a 9mm semi-automatic pistol. There was no indication of robbery or sexual assault. Uh, there were no witnesses. Darlene was shot five times. Michael was shot four times total. Uh, and so uh, there had been calls to the police uh, that there were gunshots. And police were first like, eh, it's 4th of July. It's probably just firecrackers. Not a big deal. And then another phone call was made after the uh, scene had been discovered by some other promiscuous teens just minutes after the attack. This speedy discovery saved Michael's life, and he was able to give a description of the killer, 
while he had tried to obscure his view um, with a flashlight the first go around, when he came back for the second set of shots, he did not use his flashlight. So he got a good look. He didn't even do anything to you, Stevie. Christ. Oh, okay. So he described the shooter as a white male, surprise, in his late 20s, early 30s, short, around 5'8", five, 5'9", five, um, stocky build, brown hair, and a round face. Darlene was fighting for her life when police arrived. One officer, Richard Hoffman, rode in the ambulance with Darlene to the hospital in case she was able to get give a statement. He described the trip, saying that she was so out of it and unable to speak that while the EMT was giving her CPR, he could see the fabric on her top flutter every time the EMT breathed into her. So pretty gnarly wounds there. About 45 minutes after the attack, the Vallejo police got a call from what was later discovered to be a payphone. Remember those? According to the police report, I want to report a double murder. If you go one mile east on Columbus Parkway to the public park, you will find the kids in a brown car. They were shot with a 9mm Luger. I also killed those kids last year. Goodbye. Short, sweet, and to the point. I mean, he said it all, right? So, now I will get into the August 1969 correspondence and the Z408 cipher. On August 1st, letters arrived at the San Francisco Examiner, the San Francisco Chronicle, and the Vallejo Times-Herald. They claimed to be from the killer, aforementioned above in the murders that I just talked about. (laughs) (laughs) They included details that were not known to the general public. So the one to the Chronicle read, Dear Editor, This is the murderer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman and the girl on the 4th of July near the golf course in Vallejo. To prove I killed them, I shall state some of the facts which only I and the police know. Christmas. 1. Brand name of ammo, Super X. 2. 10 shots were fired. 3. Holy shit, stop it. Two. Ten shots were fired. Three. The boy was on his back with his feet to the car. Four. The girl was on her right side, feet to the west. July 4th. One. Girl was wearing patterned slacks. Two. The boy was also shot in the knee. Three. Brand name of ammo was Western. Here's part of the cipher. The other two parts of this cipher are being mailed to editors of the Vallejo Times and the SF Examiner. I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. In this cipher is my identity. If you do not print this cipher by the afternoon of Fry 1st of Aug 69, I will go on a kill rampage Fry night. I will cruise around all weekend killing lone people in the night, then move on to kill again until I end up with a dozen people over the weekend. Wow. These cats. These cats are the fucking worst right now. <laughs> um, so, and then, you know, signed with the crosshair symbol we all recognize today. And and yeah, wow is certainly a word for it. There's a lot of spelling errors. There's a lot of grammatical errors. That's it's important little, later. Yeah, it's very difficult to read <laughs> for somebody who's like trying to read notes and has to stop and suddenly read a bunch of shit that makes no sense like patterned with only one t yeah i feel that from the Catherine knight episode oh yeah 
and just oh i mean at least like she was just illiterate yeah. literally illiterate yeah but uh yeah so i get that <laughs> i uh, sympathize all right so the chronicle published the cipher on page four with a note saying that the Vallejo police could not confirm that these letters actually came from the real killer, and they asked for more deets. As most serial killers do, he was like, oh, of course, I would love to tell you about myself. (laughs) So the next letter was sent to the examiner, and that reads, Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. In answer to your asking for more details about the good times I have had in Vallejo, I will be very happy to supply you with even more detail. Or... Even more material. So is this the first time that he has? Because yes, said this is this is Zodiac. Yep, this is the the debut of his name. My uh, this 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 is an interesting letter because he's starting. You starting to see his like I guess personality come out or the persona rather because I doubt he actually had any personality in his actual life. <laughs> So he says, uh, I shall be happy to supply you with even more material. By the way, are the police having a good time with the code? If not, tell them to cheer up. When they do crack it, they will have me. So he goes on and he gives more details about um, the 4th of July killing and then the Christmas uh, attack. He says that there is one line in here I wanted to find. I did not leave the scene of the killing with squealing tires and racing engine as described in the Vallejo paper. I drove away quietly, or I drove away quite slowly as uh, to not draw attention to my car. The man who told police that my car was brown was a Negro, about 40, 45, rather shabbily dressed. I was at the payphone having some fun with the Vallejo cops when he was walking by. When I hung up the phone, the damn thing began to ring. And that drew his attention to me and my car. So he is sort of like the only words like like taunting. He's he's very much saying, "Yeah, this guy saw me, but you will never find me." Yeah, I mean it's something that we see a lot with, um, especially prolific and specific personality types of serial killers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the from hell letter is probably the most well-known version of this like sending a letter to a newspaper or the police or whatever saying i was right here why didn't you catch me oh yeah and he does a lot more of that later yeah but i mean you've got him ted kaczynski btk uh son of sam sorry to tell you guys he doesn't leave cereal boxes for anybody. <laughs> Fucking Dennis. <laughs> Fucking Dennis. Stupid Denny. <laughs> uh, he also said at the end of his letter he was not happy to see that he didn't get front page coverage. Um, signed it with his crosshair symbol and then the words NO ADDRESS in caps. <laughs> so Okay, cool. <laughs> Yes, he gave himself a nickname, like like Dennis Rader, um, and or rather Dennis Rader did it like Zodiac. Um, yeah. But at least Zodiac's is cooler. I mean, yes. It has nothing to do with the Zodiac. It, I don't understand. I would love to know the actual connection yeah. that he has to 
the Zodiac killer. Yep. I mean, because there was that other... That one in New York? Yeah, who called himself the Zodiac killer because he, like, accidentally killed people <laughs> different he killed, killed people with different signs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's go on to Cypher Z408, which was solved by a school teacher and his wife. Betty and Donald Harden solved this cipher on August 8th, so a whole seven days later. They said it took a total of 20 hours to crack, so not a very strong cryptogram. So Betty was credited with figuring out that the killer would crave attention and use the word I a lot, and that kill or killing would probably be prevalent within the cipher, which was actually correct. You go, Betty. And so it said... I like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all. To kill something gives me the most thrilling experience. It is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part of it is when I die, I will be reborn in paradise and all the people I have killed will become my slaves. I will not give you my name because you will try to slow down or stop my collecting of slaves for my afterlife. Which is another thing that Denny stole from Zodiac. Yep. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting, um, the, the process that they sat down and broke the cryptogram or the cipher mm-hmm. with just like, okay, look for double letters. Like, look yep. for double symbols. Because... He didn't, he's not intelligent enough, clearly, through all of the misspelling. I mean, granted, you can use some people who are of extremely high intelligence, fail at simple things like spelling or mathematics or things like that. It's a common thing to see these super intelligent scientists and stuff that misspell things constantly. Mm-hmm. But I think that. You know, if he had been considering that someone would actually be able to break the cipher, doing something like having a symbol for a single L and then a symbol for a double L, Mm -hmm. you know, setting it up like that or something to connect to a symbol to make it a double letter. Right. I mean, it's like you see it in... uh, I mean, the, the clearest example I can think of it is Spanish. They have an L, and then they have the double L to make the Y sound, like polio yeah. versus polo. Yeah. Uh, French has that, too. I think that's a romantic language thing. Yeah. And so, there's, I mean, V, or W, which mm-hmm. is just a double U sound mm-hmm. <laughs> on a lot of letters, a lot of words. But, yeah, that, I mean, that's the clearest, like, way he could have fixed that part of his ciphers, at least. But I don't think that he, at this point, he's thinking he's the smartest person on the face of the fucking earth. No one is ever going to be able to figure out his cipher. Oh, whoops. A school teacher and his wife figured it out in 20 hours. Yeah, and uh, (laughs) one of the, one of the police officers that I mentioned from the, the, Lake Herman Road uh, investigation, um, Pierre Bidot or Bidou, he said, you know, you know, at the time we didn't go about investigating these crimes like you would today. If if we could take back the technology that we have now, 
he would have been snapped up like this. But because we had so many inefficient tests for the time, he got away with everything at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, there's he definitely he was smart for his time. But I don't think if he had done that today, it would not have gone in his favor. Yeah. Not with computers, even. Oh, yeah how it is there would be a decrypting program that they could run on that so fast well actually there are 18 characters at the foot of the cipher that remain undeciphered um i didn't mean to write it like that but i did and i read it and i laughed at myself sorry <laughs> so there's um, part of the letter that's still so some people believe that these characters may reveal his name by way of an alternate code to the rest of the cipher uh, but that's open to debate. There are a lot of people who think they've cracked it, but nothing conclusive has come from it. So we move on to September 27th, 1969. Nice. <laughs> Case number 105907. This one was probably the most um, interesting to write about. Um, this is the case of Cecilia Shepard, 22, and Brian Hartnell, 20. Um, and they decided to take a picnic at Lake, sorry, Lake Berryessa in Napa County. In Hartnell's report to the police from the hospital, and, quote, under heavy sedation, according to the police report, uh, he claimed that he and Cecilia were laying on the shore enjoying the scenery when she claimed that she saw someone behind a tree. Now, in this is the Zodiac speaking that... Uh, documentary we were just talking about it i don't know why i said that (laughs) um hartnell would later say he wasn't overly concerned by this um and that he thought that she was referring to somebody beyond them like because there were a lot of peninsulas they were on a a new reservoir and there were just a lot of different areas and she he thought that she was just referring to somebody off in the distance and she said that he went uh, behind a tree and she thought and uh, Hartnell was like okay well the guy's relieving himself okay whatever he's over there I don't care and then she said oh my god he has a gun now he's concerned uh, so the man approaches uh, and he claimed that he was a prison escapee from either Montana or Colorado uh, and that he needed money and a car to flee to Mexico he claimed he had killed a guard while he was escaping so they were already prepared to be dealing with a killer because Brian, who is at this time a pre-law student understood kind of what that meant. Uh, so his, okay. His strategy, uh, was to keep talking to the guy. He offered a little bit of the little bit of change that he had. It was the only money he had on him. He offered his car keys. He said, Hey, I'm a law student. Let me help you. Um, But he didn't take the car keys, he didn't take the money, and he clearly didn't take the help. Um, The man had Cecilia tie Hartnell up before tying her up with pre-cut lengths of plastic clothesline that Hartnell had noticed was in his rear pants pocket. Meanwhile, he kept trying to talk to this suspect to engage him, hoping that the conversation would humanize the situation, maybe? Yeah. So he claimed that the suspect said, I'm getting nervous and became shaking 
uh, like his hands were shaky while tying Cecilia's hands and that he had both the victims lay on their stomachs, tying their ankles as well. Then, without warning, Hartnell was stabbed repeatedly in the back. He said he saw Cecilia fighting and rolling over on her back before being stabbed in the lower abdomen, stating that the suspect stabbed Cecilia far worse, like he had gone into some kind of frenzy. Hartnell then decided to play dead. Probably a smart move. Yeah. The suspect was said to have casually left the scene after the stabbing. The pair were able to untie their restraints. Hartnell was able to call out to a passing boat asking for them to send help, but there was no response. And so he crawled his way up to the side of the road where he was discovered and both victims were taken to the hospital. It's said that the the guy in the boat actually did go and send for help. So hopefully that was true. And he didn't just go have a, what what was her name? Kitty Genovese or whatever her name was. So, Cecilia had been stabbed ten times, five in the front and five in the back. Though she underwent surgery to try to repair the damage from her stab wounds, she unfortunately had succumbed to her injuries, and she died on September 29th. Brian Hartnell, however, survived the attack and was able to give a description of the suspect. He said he wore a black mask of cloth covering his whole head and shoulders like an executioner's hood. On his chest was the symbol described as a white circle, approximately three by three inches in diameter with a symmetrical cross. The eyelets of the mask had a clip or had a clip on sunglasses, but he could see dark brown hair through them. He was wearing a light uh, windbreaker of a dark blue or black color, pleated slacks, quote, the old fashioned type. Uh, Hartnell also said he looked or he felt that he was 20 to 30 based on the sound of his voice he was somewhere between 5'8 and 6 feet tall, 225 to 250 pounds, a sloppy dresser, his stomach overhanging his trousers, and he spoke with some kind of drawl. Not like a southern drawl, but like someone who was uneducated. He had a moderate sound, neither low nor high-pitched. Hmm. The knife that was used was said to have a dark wooden handle and a blade approximately 10 to 12 inches long. Again, there was no indication of robbery or sexual assault, and there were no witnesses, though there were people who claimed to have seen a man in dark clothing in the area, acting suspicious. After the stabbing had taken place, a call was made to the Napa Valley Police at 7.40 p.m., received by dispatch officer David Slate. According to Slate's report, a male voice, young, possibly in his 20s, stated, I'd like to report a murder. No, a double murder. They are two miles north of Park headquarters. They are in a. They were in a white Volkswagen Carmen Gia. Officer Slate asked, "Where are you now?" And the voice described as barely audible said, "I'm the one that did it." Before putting the phone down, but not hanging it up. The line remained open, and an operator was called to trace the call, which came from a payphone, and. The man refused to give a name when he placed the call. So this answer led the police to believe that he had dialed the operator and asked for the police department not dialed the number directly. The phone booth was discovered just a few blocks away from the sheriff's office, 27 miles from the crime scene, and prints were taken from the scene but were never matched to a suspect. Back at the crime scene, the attacker had written a message on the victim's car on the door. At the top, the crosshair symbol. Under that, Vallejo. Under that were a series of dates. 12-20-68, the 
the dates of the uh, Jensen Faraday killings. The next one was 7-4-69, the one uh, of Darlene Farron, and then September 27-69-6-30 by knife. Tire tracks indicated that the sucks. The suspects. <laughs> the suspects' car. He does suck. So he does suck. He is a suspect. That his car had been parked behind the victims, and that a uh, there were shoe prints of a size ten and a half wing walker shoe recovered from the scene. Yeah, small feet. You know, he's a, he's a shorty. Yeah, that's consistent. Uh, I think a lot of them say between five eight and five nine. Um, I think the tallest one was Hartnell's report of saying he was up, he was five, eight to six feet. And I was like, that's quite a discrepancy there. And uh, later, I think somebody else said that he was about five, ten. So, yeah, but I kind of talk about it a little bit in my segment. You know, you have to look at these descriptions from the victims. Oh, yeah. Super with with a lot of. uh, sympathy because they've just survived Mm -hmm. an ordeal that is very unique to these few people that survived and in some cases is incredibly traumatic and Mm -hmm. the last thing a lot of these people were thinking about was i better get a good look at this guy where i can tell the police what he looks like it was very highly focused on what can I do to survive right? and less about what can I tell about this guy. The final uh, definitive killing was on October 11th, 1969. Case number 696314. Paul Stein was a cab driver. His cab was hailed by a white male at Mason and Geary Streets in downtown San Francisco. The passenger requested a ride to Washington and Maple Streets, but Stein, for some unknown reason, continued beyond this location for another block past past Maple Street and to Cherry Street. The passenger shot Stein once in the back of the head with a 9mm. Stein's wallet and keys were taken, as well as a large cut from his bloodied shirt. The passenger was observed by some teenagers across the street who called the police while the crime was in progress. They described the man as white, 25 to 30 years of age, 5'8 to 5'9, stocky build, reddish-brown hair and a crew cut, heavy-rimmed glasses, and dark clothing. Uh, They said he had been wiping down the cab, and they claimed that they saw him casually walking north on Cherry Street. This is where I get really upset. What? Quick question. What year was this? 69. 69. Nice. The police dispatcher, quote, mistakenly described the suspect as being black. Oh, yeah, this one. Mm. And due to this fuck up, two patrol officers passed a white man walking east on Jackson Street and never stopped to question him. After the correct description was broadcast, those two officers think that the man they saw walking down the street was the suspect. These two officers, Donald Folk and Eric Zelms, gave a similar description to that that was given by the teenagers. They said they saw a white male, 35 to 40 years old, 5'10", 180 to 200 pounds, barrel-chested, light-colored crew cut, and wearing glasses. It was also said that there were a size 7 
or men's size seven gloves that were left in the cab. Um, now they thought at first this was a routine robbery situation that got out of hand. They didn't think this was a Zodiac situation um, until a letter arrived on October 13th at the San Francisco Chronicle, uh, including a portion of the bloody shirt that had been cut from Stein. This is a Zodiac speaking. I am the murderer of the taxi driver over by Washington Street and Maple Street last night. To prove this, here is a blood-stained piece of his shirt. I am the same man who did it in the people who did in the people in the North Bay area. The SF police could have caught me last night if they had searched the park properly instead of holding road races with their motorcycles. That's how it's spelled. I wanted to say it that way. Uh, seeing who can make the most noise. The car drivers should have just parked their cars and sat there quietly waiting for me to come out of cover. School children make nice targets. I think I will wipe out a school bus some morning, just shoot out the front tire, and then pick off the kitties as they come bouncing out, signed with his symbol. This was the, like I said, last murder that was definitively attributed to the Zodiac, and although the killing seemed to have stopped after this point, uh, he continued writing many letters and claiming more deaths uh, in the next few years, including new ciphers. Um, one such interesting situation was um, on October 20th of 1969, we have the phone call situation. Someone claiming to be the Zodiac called Oakland PD, demanding that the famous lawyers F. Lee Bailey or Melvin Belay appear on AM San Francisco, a morning talk show. The suspect did call just a few 54 times. He would say a few words, hang up, and then call back. He told the Melvin Belay who came on the show, uh, he told him that his name was Sam, he suffered from headaches, and he wanted to turn himself in. So he and Belay privately set up a time and date for him to turn himself in and uh, to surrender or whatever. But of course, he didn't show up. And there were conflicting stories and a lot of doubt surrounding the validity of this phone call. Brian Hartnell, Vallejo police dispatcher, and, oh no, Brian Hartnell, Slafe, and uh, Nancy Slaver. She was the one who took the, I also I killed those two kids last summer call. Mm-hmm. They all listened to this phone call and they said this Sam person was an imposter. Hartnell and Slate agreed that the voice sounded too young and that uh, the voice they remembered was an older, deeper voice. Whereas Nancy Slaver, the bad bitch, thought that Sam was too pitiful and pathetic to be the Zodiac. <laughs> On uh, I'm sorry, November 8th, a letter was sent to the San Francisco Chronicle with another cipher known as um, Z340, which is still unsolved today. This one is interesting because a lot of people, there are some claims that it's been solved, but I'm of the theory that it's nonsense, whether it's intentional or not. The The idea that he, he saw that his first one was cracked so quickly, he either wrote a bunch of gibberish so that nobody could crack it and he could feel smart, or that he tried to use a more difficult cipher and failed. <laughs> so there, like I said, numerous solutions have been suggested. None are claimed to be definitive. Um, and it came in a greeting card that said, sorry, I haven't written, but I just washed my pen, which many speculate was a reference to the attack at Lake Berryessa. It read, this is the Zodiac speaking. I, though you would need a good laugh before 
you hear the bad news. You won't get the news for a while yet. P.S. Could you print this new cipher in your front page? I get awfully lonely when I am ignored. So lonely. I could do my thing. Ew. And the thing is all bold and underlined six times with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven exclamation points, followed by his crosshair symbol. And December, July, August, September, October equals seven. The addition of Og for August might have been to suggest his involvement in the double murder of Deborah Furlong and Kathy Snoozy in San Jose on August 3rd of 1969. Or it might have just been that he saw that somebody might have credited credited to him in the newspaper. And so he was like, yeah, okay, I'll take that one. On November 9th, yet another letter was sent. It was seven pages long, and no, I won't be reading it. Uh, he, d- he describes in this letter how he has made a bomb, blah, 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 taunts the cops for not knowing where it is, etc. He claims that two policemen stopped and actually spoke to him after Stein's murder, and they were none the wiser and basically just makes fun of the cops the whole time. Uh, now, according to Falcon Zelms, this did not ever happen, and that they just saw him walking down the street on their way to the scene, and because they were under the impression it was a black gentleman, they were not going to question him. So who knows if that actually happened or if that's just his way of trying to belittle the police in this situation. Or were the police so embarrassed that they talked that they to said, him? Exactly. They said, no, we didn't talk to anybody. Yep. <laughs> uh, so on December 20th of 1969, exactly one year after the murders of David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen, a letter was mailed to Melvin Belay, the lawyer from the talk show, that included another swatch of Stein's shirt. And the Zodiac said he actually wanted Belay to help him, and he was the real Zodiac, and that the kids would be safe. But nothing was ever, you know, never came from that. Other ciphers were sent, like Z13. The letter said, this is the Zodiac speaking. By the way, have you cracked the last cipher I sent you? My name is followed by 13 symbols. The supposed last letter sent by the Zodiac was known as the Exorcist letter. He makes a claim through a scoreboard at the bottom of his letter uh, that he has killed 37 people. The letter says, I saw and think The Exorcist was the best satirical comedy that I have ever seen. Signed, yours truly. He plunged himself into the billowy wave, and an echo arose from the suicide's grave. Titwillow, titwillow, titwillow. P.S. If I do not see this note in your paper, I will do something nasty, which you know I am capable of doing. It is followed by some sort of weird symbol thing. It kind of looks like an upside-down K-F upside-down V, maybe? It's... Undiscern- indiscernible to me. And then it says me 37 SFPD zero. And with that being said, there are many other possible victims who have not been conclusively connected to the Zodiac, but that will be next time. Okay. <laughs> That's all I got for this episode. I feel like after talking for almost an hour, you're probably done listening to me. So yeah, I think it's interesting. A lot of those, um, like, the whole letter thing is, um, it very much plays into the it's about me, look at me, notice me senpai sort of thing. Yeah. 
Good input. I was giving good input the whole episode. Thanks for joining us today for part one of the Crimes of the Zodiac. Next week, we will continue this conversation with even more letters and crime scenes while also speculating wildly on who done it. We hope that you will reach out to us with your own experiences. We want your stories, your questions, and your feedback. Just send us an email at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. If you are sending a story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so we can sort through those a little more easily. You can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or personal accounts Roy Rampage and Calamity Casey, where we post the weird shit in our personal lives. You can find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Roy Rampage. We're also on Facebook. Just search for the strange and unusual podcast. You can also support the podcast over at patreon.com slash strange unusual. Um, I understand, we understand right now with everything going on in the world and, uh, you know, COVID-19 still happening. That, still happening. Uh, money might be a little bit tight. And so if you are unable to financially support the podcast, we completely understand. If you can, just give us a like, a share, uh, subscribe post a review give us a five-star review i don't care if you leave us some nasty message about how much we suck just give us that five stars that's right we got a nice review we did we got a really nice review thanks ann <laughs> but i really do appreciate the all the compliments it was very very sweet and it's funny too because it happened like immediately after elise and i were having a conversation about like how fulfilling it can be like even if no one feels like no one is like listening to your podcast or like what you're doing but then when you get that like nice little note from somebody or you see that like oh my god one of our episodes just got x amount of listens oh yeah suddenly it's just like a such a satisfying feeling knowing that you know we're not just screaming into the void here yeah at least not completely yeah and i get a lot of good feedback from the people that i you know forced to listen to it like (laughs) katie and sandy and i go hey are you guys still listening to our podcast and they're like yeah it sounds great and i'm like yeah you better say that (laughs) (laughs) but anyway well anyway so we've got um another episode coming at you next week and for more zodiac shenanigans and hope there will be a lot more discussion in the next episode sorry this was sort of just a let me throw all facts at you well i tried to interject i'm sorry i know i know i was saying like this was just a this was just an information heavy one like the next one's gonna be our good like speculating wildly episode yeah please don't sue us why would who's gonna sue us who do i I have to be worried about i don't know man okay Oh, I know you're dying you out. Hey. <laughs> hey. Happy Halloween. Oh, yeah. This is coming out before Halloween. I hope you have a fun Halloween inside of your home safely while maybe hurling baggies of candy at children from your porch. Trick or eat. <laughs> I will be celebrating my anniversary because AJ and I will have been married for two years on Halloween. Gross. Yep.